God, we've gotten so many texts and emails and stuff from people who were um, around the area where the scumbag killer rapist was doing his thing at the time and talking about how uh, how scary it was and, and everybody was on edge and people were... Beyond on edge, you know, just terrified. People were bolting their windows shut and people were buying guns and having a family member stay up all night and just all kinds of stuff. So we thought we'd go back uh, toward the... Uh, you know, the original investigation of trying to find this scumbag. Joseph James D'Angelo, 72-year-old retiree, former police officer, arrested for the many murders and rapes of the East Area Rapist or the Golden State Killer or whatever. Um, I don't like these cute nicknames no, very much. Anyway, I don't, I don't use them. Carol Daly was not only a former Sacramento County undersheriff, but was one of the original investigators in the East Area Rapist case, and she joins us now. Hello, Carol. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Very good. We appreciate you uh, sharing a chunk of your time with us this morning. Thank you. So we were talking before, uh, between ourselves, before you came on the air, about the incredible frustration you must have felt in investigating these terrible, terrible cases for such a long time and not having a result back when they were occurring. Well, when the East Area rape cases first started, we were kind of, as we look back on it, it was kind of like being in the dark ages. You know, we didn't have cell phones. Uh, officers had to stop at pay phones or they would stop at a restaurant or a donut shop and, and use a phone uh, to be able to call headquarters. We had like walkie talkies. We didn't even have radios in all of the cars. So um, it was a, a time we didn't have computers. Things were coming over on, on teletype. Um, we um, typed up reports on an old standard typewriter. We were absolutely thrilled when we were finally able to get an electric typewriter to do our reports on. Um, the record searches that we did, you know, they were in all, all the big tumblers where you push a you know, machine and you take out ID cards and, and uh, look at the criminal history. I mean, it was, uh, compared to now, it was the dark ages of investigative tools to try to solve a crime. Do you remember how many... How many rapes were committed before you realized you got a uh, like a serial rapist going on? Well, the first rape I became involved in was rape number five, and that was uh, Jane Carson uh, Sandler. I can use her name because she has been a very open advocate um, about trying to solve this crime and had written a book. Uh, great, great lady. Um, so that was uh, about rape number five, and then we realized uh, they, uh, we looked back at some of the other rapes, uh, the previous rapes, with the same method of operation, and we realized uh, we probably have a serial rapist going. At the time that the rape started, and we realized that we had a serial rapist, Sheriff Lowe was the sheriff at the time, and he said, uh, we're going to keep this under wraps. Uh, we're not going to let the, you know, open up to the public uh, because of the panic it might cause. And besides, we know you guys are going to solve this, and when you do, we'll have a big press conference, and uh, we can say we got the guy, and uh, nobody will know in anything about, you know, what had happened. But that wasn't the case. The rapes kept uh, happening. Um, he was, um, there were some citizens who found out about the rape and um, one of them actually was the director of the Livermore Laboratories um, and they had 
the largest computer system in the world at the time. And his daughter was coming to Sacramento, Sac State, and he was hearing all of the rumbles about uh, rape, you know, the rapes that were occurring. And so he contacted the sheriff along with some other of his friends, and they said, look, if this is happening, everybody has to know. We have to know what we can do to protect our daughters from being a victim of a rape. And that was kind of when it first, uh, he, the sheriff made a commitment, okay, every time we have a rape, the media will be alerted and you will know about it okay well which which yeah as a citizen i i like that policy very much but just this uh, he this uh, perpetrator was very skilled at getting away with crime i mean given yes. the energy and the the desperation to catch him the fact that he eluded you all is is shocking it is it is uh, tell us um, about how do you suppose he eluded you so successfully well, now, at the time, uh, because he seemed to be in tune with everything law enforcement was doing. So we thought he either had a connection to law enforcement mm. or perhaps he had been in law enforcement. Or we thought maybe he had been in the military um, because he because of the things that he was doing, um, you know, the knots that he was tying and, and uh, how he eluded capture. But it was like he was listening to everything, like he had a police radio or something. He was listening to everything we were doing. He was feeding off information that was in the newspapers about what was happening. And um, he, uh, one of uh, the big ways that he eluded capture um, was that he stayed with the victim for so long, which was very unusual for many other rape cases that we had. Once he got into the home and he was able to tie and secure the victim or the victims um, who were in the home, um, and then he was able to wander around, he was able to rape, he was able to um, uh, go through the house and, and ransack and, and look for things. Um, he was, uh, you know, constantly making threats of, of killing everybody in the house or killing the victim. And so... So he could wait for the the right time to leave? Yes. Okay. Then he would just, he would leave, but the victims would have no idea because he was in and out. He, he would, he would leave and it was like he was just watching the victim. And when the victim would start to move, he would be there, you know, with the clenched teeth saying, don't move, don't move, don't move. I'm going to kill you all. So after he left, uh, sometimes it was 30 minutes, 45 minutes, uh, maybe even an hour before the victims felt like it was wow. safe enough to leave. Wow. So okay. he was able to make good an escape. Interesting. Yeah. How close did you come to catching him? No, we weren't even close at all. There was no incident uh, that you found out he was right there or you saw him and he ran away or anything like that? Oh, oh yes. There were several times patrol officers in the field um, and a detective working undercover uh, would see somebody that they thought was the East Area Rapist, somebody in a ski mask and in dark clothing. But by the time they would turn around and uh, find him, I mean, it was like, poof, it was like he disappeared into thin air all the time. He was a very agile, agile person. And now looking back um, in seeing how he could jump over fences in one leap and everything, what do you do in police training? First thing you have to do is be able to scale a six foot wall. So um, he was he was very adept, mm. uh, physically fit and uh, could run fast. Uh, was able to conceal himself, was able to hide, uh, able to get out of a neighborhood before uh, patrol officers would come to the area. Had you long ago decided he was probably dead? 
No, I, I, I didn't think he was dead. I always felt uh, in 86 after uh, the homicide <laughs> and when all of the activity stopped, I thought he was maybe incapacitated in some way. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe just not able to do the crimes. Uh, I thought maybe he'd been in a car accident. You know, uh, maybe he had fallen ill. Uh, never really thought he was dead, but never had any. I knew the solution to the case was here in Sacramento because that's where the crime started. And that's where we believed he lived. And I just really always felt that someone here in Sacramento would be able to give us the information. Carol Daly uh-huh. was one of the original investigators in the East Area Rapist case, uh, which became a, a case of many murders and, and many rapes uh, throughout the length of California. How did you find out that Joseph uh, D'Angelo had been apprehended, and how did you feel? How did you react? Oh, uh, last Tuesday afternoon, I was uh, driving home from having spent time with a granddaughter, and I was in the car, and I got a call from Sheriff Jones. Um, And uh, when I saw that it was the sheriff calling me, I thought, oh, somebody's been arrested, and they're using my name to get out of jail, because that's happened before. And I plan to at some point, Carol. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, he said, Carol, he says, uh, I have to tell you, he said, uh, we want you to be the first to know um, uh, the East Area Rapist has just been arrested. And I said, you're kidding me. And, of course, the sheriff wouldn't kid me about something like that. We're, you know, we don't talk socially or anything. So I thought, this is for real. Um, so I was driving. I was so excited to get home. Uh, my husband uh, was a SWAT sergeant on the sheriff's department at that time, and he had worked a lot of the field operations in trying to apprehend these area rapists. So it, in our household, it was it, we lived with it for those two years uh, on call outs and all of the work, you know, that he did in the on the street. Uh, with his team trying to apprehend this guy. So I couldn't wait to walk in the house. I was just shaking, and I said, the tears started welling up, and I said, the East Area Rapist has been arrested. And I think both of us were just stunned. And actually, I couldn't even really process it. Um, And then um, uh, after I had talked to the sheriff and the district attorney, Anne-Marie Schubert called, and I said, the victims have to know before we have the press conference tomorrow. And I wanted permission to be able to call those that I had been in contact with. And um, so it just, uh, it was, uh, I think I was in shock. And then uh, by the time I found out about five o'clock on Tuesday, um, I didn't sleep until Thursday morning. Wow. So it was, uh, it was phone calls coming, uh, uh, making phone calls, uh, and just trying to process it. It was the hardest thing in, in my career in law enforcement that I've ever had uh, to try to process after 40 years that this guy was actually arrested and, and was in jail. Carol Daly, former Sacramento County undersheriff and one of the original investigators in the East Area Rapist case. Carol, thanks a million. It's great to talk to you. Thank you so much. And it was a great week for justice. Thanks. God, you know, she didn't address it, but the frustration of not having busted the guy for right. all those years had to be... Well, that's what drives these investigations. People who who need justice, and they can't stand that it hasn't been done. Um, her discussion of the technology of the day—that is something. I mean, there, there's a lot of downsides to uh, modern technology in terms of privacy and all that sort of stuff, and the balance of power between individuals and the state and all that sort of thing. But certainly helpful in catching bad guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, 
There's no way you can pull the, you could pull that off today. Yeah, what he was doing. And listen, I I think all of us are feeling the same thing. I don't want anything approaching admiration for this inhuman no piece of filth to pass my lips. But he was an incredibly skilled, brutal criminal. That many rapes, that many murders. And to not be caught, it, it boggles the mind. Yeah, we were just wondering, uh, her description of the running, jumping fences, all that sort of stuff, how much of this is just he aged out of it? He just couldn't pull it off anymore physically. That's entirely possible, and he found a new way to get his, his perv on, his thrills. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to find out more about what his life has been like the last 30 or so years. He's been doing something. Actually, I have an article about serial killers just giving it up. What makes serial killers stop killing? It's happened a number of times, and I got some examples. Maybe we'll get to that at some point. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The library at the University of Utah has installed what they're calling a cry closet, right? And this is exactly what it sounds like. I promise this is true. It's a closet where stressed out students can go to cry. Because there's nothing more comforting than being trapped in a tiny dark box. (laughs) That's a bad joke. Uh, There's a lot of humor to be had there and he didn't find it. I only want to go back to France or wherever you're from. (laughs) <laughs> I only wanted to play it to bring up the story, because it is true. University of Utah has uh, got a cry closet. I prefer to cry in the shower so no one knows. They installed a safe place for stressed out students, otherwise known as the cry closet in the university library. Sunday posting five rules, including a time limit of 10 minutes and an occupant limit of one. All right, go cry. You can cry somewhere else. Otherwise, you're cry, just gonna, baby. You're going to just have people. He's like a little baby. 10 minutes is up. If, if two or more people can go in there, you're just going to have people having sex in there. At a college? Yes. Even in Utah. <laughs> wow. That is uh, that is something. So uh, I'm pro-mental health. Absolutely. I just... Uh, the, 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 the praise, the lionization of being... of falling apart emotionally... The encouragement to... From, from schoolwork. Well, yeah, from schoolwork or something that's said in the class, you're encouraged to fall apart and scream, I've been triggered, I've been triggered. Which is, it's the, that's the opposite of mental health. That's selling crazy. Go sell crazy somewhere else. We're all full up here. One of my favorite lines of all time. Yeah, if you're going to lose it um, over uh, finals week, then you got some things you need to deal with, which, you know, can happen. But it's not something to be held up as uh, perfectly. It wasn't normal before. No, <laughs> it certainly wasn't before. No, no. You, you have your cry or your yell or you get drunk, then you say, all right, now let's get back to work. If you're a sane human. I do remember every finals week of my life thinking, oh, yeah, that's right. This is what finals week is like. Oh, I remember boy. thinking that every year and forget it. It's kind of like having a baby. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I think you're, in order to perpetuate the species and to continue to educate it, I think we're, that's a, like a 
adaptive response. You forget what it's like, because otherwise you'd leave <laughs> or something. You'd flee. And it reminds me of all the stats I saw on uh, Tucker Carlson's show on Fox last night about universities. Uh, I wish I had them in front of me. On uh, The same thing has happened at universities as happened at high schools across the country, this grade inflation thing, oh, yeah. where the most common grade given out now is an A, when that wasn't true not very many years ago. Well, no, it was yet, like less than 20% haze way there, back in the day. I yet think. there are all kinds of studies, yeah, because there are all kinds of studies showing that people are actually learning less yeah, and uh, getting more A's. And we're just doing this, and so people are getting more stressed out. While learning less and getting great grades. Yes. So, (laughs) please, how does that speak to the health of the society? A little fat and happy, a little affluent and weak, a little self-indulgent and ready to be plucked by somebody brutal and powerful? Yes. There, there seems but to be. I'm not sure there's any avoiding it. There seems to be a focus on youth in the last, I don't know, twenty something years. That I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've never had a kid, so I don't know. Maybe you, you as parents, can enlighten me more on this, but. This so much focus on the maximizing of positive emotions and the eliminating of negative ones right. just prevents any sort of opportunity to teach the processing yeah. of negative emotions. Overprotection breeds weak, brittle children. I'm trying to fix this in my own kids because I recognize that I I went, I'll speak only for myself, uh, went too far in the, um, maybe it's because I was an older dad, I don't want, I don't know, but... Oh, we, we all do it to some extent. Make sure and I wanted to always be paying attention to him. And if they walked up and had something to tell me, I was always, you know, going to listen. And it's sort of like, and it's it, it it it's pretty clear to me now that's not been a good idea. Mm. There's not enough. Uh, there hasn't been enough. You got to figure out how to play on your own. Dad doesn't need to be. Mom and dad don't need to be watching you or participating all the time. Right. Um. You can't inter- jump into every adult's conversation with because everything you've got to say is not the most important thing happening right now. Right. I mean, I've gone way too far, and I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty. It's pretty clear to me that I've done that. So I'm trying to slowly move it back the other direction. Are you going to go full great Santini? And, you know, part of it is I remember seeing. I remember seeing a tweet from somebody, um, uh, and and the caption was "Dad of the Year." And it was a picture of a dad sitting on a park bench at the park staring at his phone while his kid was playing. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to be like that. Well, I need to do a little more of that. Dad's going to be over here reading the newspaper. You're going to play. You're going to be fine. Right. I'm not going to play with you. I will at some point, but I can't the entire day because right. I got things to do. And it's good for you also. And we, I yeah, I missed the mark on that. We need to cancel the commercials and the news because I have... We can't do that, Mike? Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, because I have such great stuff for you on this theme. This from the BBC. Penn State University. Remember where child molestation used to be a hobby? Penn State University has decided that the outdoors is too risky for the outdoors club. <laughs> Wow, that's a, uh, ooh, wow. Hmm. Their caving and scuba clubs have been deemed too unsafe. Gotcha. Because you'd be not in, be sanctioned. Because you'd be underwater and in a, and in a cave. Well, you see, Jack, the problem was it occurred to the university that the caving club was going into caves. And the scuba diving club, and I want you to sit down for this now. <laughs> they were going underwater with self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. <laughs> Holy crap. China, come on in. Yeah, We're softened up. We're ready. Uh, come in. Take us over. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, we now know which DNA database provided the critical links leading to a suspect in the Golden State killer case and why the cops didn't need a warrant to get that info. Man, we've all wondered that. And how is Bill Cosby doing the day after being found guilty of sexual assault? 
And it turns out Americans are indeed a very spiritual people. Ah, Coming up minutes from now. Got to get to that. I heard that one. I always love those surveys. It's very interesting. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. I don't know how we got on the topic of talking about Dutch Brothers Coffee, but uh, I went through the other day with my kids. I'm always talking about how it's a party in there, and it's just hilarious to me. Yeah, it's the Dutch sisters that uh, you know, make it special. There is a dude in a tank top, with, uh, and there is a chick in short jean shorts, because that's what they all right, wear with music right. blasting and a tank top. And he was giving her a piggyback ride. Oh, around yeah. In there, and they're like dancing around with the music blasting. <laughs> Oh my god! It's like a pool party in <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> wow, it's so insane. Can you get beer and wine there? Or is it just coffee? It's just coffee. Are you actually having that much fun? Or are you just mandated to pretend you're that happy being in that little building? Or do they coffee only people? hire people with manic disorder? <laughs> are y'all you high? Know. Maybe you're all high. Yeah. I don't know. There are worse work environments. Uh, <laughs> oh, speaking of work, I mentioned this briefly earlier. A number of you have very kindly responded to my mentioning that my daughter needs a job in the Spokane area. Except I have this weird phonetic thing where I say Spokane when I mean Tacoma. <laughs> I got and I know where Tacoma is. Yeah. I've been there many times. Um, but my daughter indeed lives uh, between Seattle and Tacoma, closer right. to Tacoma, and not Spokane. So unless she's going to take on that rather ridiculous commute, I meant Tacoma. <laughs> and I have to hesitate every time I say it to stop me from saying Spokane, which is bizarre. So if you have any jobs in the Quad Cities area... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. A story that just uh, popped up a few minutes ago. One of the main investigators who helped capture Joseph D'Angelo, the suspected Golden State killer who managed to elude law enforcement for four decades, says his team used a public DNA matching website. The lead investigator, a guy named Paul Holes, telling the Mercury News in San Jose, California, that one of his team's biggest tools was GED Match. That's supposedly a Florida-based website that pools DNA profiles that people upload and share publicly. That's interesting. I can't, I can't come up with why I should be worried about this, but it just seems like the sort of thing that 15 years from now, when all of our DNA is in some giant database somewhere, we're going to all think, oh! that was a mistake and here's why you know my main concern is that anything on a computer can be hacked and then you know your your medical situation your maybe your health your proclivity to get one disease or another might be known to the wrong people or your employer or whatever i i got to admit my fears are are kind of vague i can see them in the distance Uh, i can tell they're coming at me but i can't see what they are it just seems weird yeah, at what point does the insur- health insurance company uh, demand the DNA, right. and then they say you're you know, 80% more likely for this than most people, so we got to charge you one and a half times as much? Or, yeah. When, my, does, when does that start happening? My fear always comes down to what if they figure out that people with DNA strand 7B are more likely to be anti-X, right? And then all of a sudden, the like the political things start there's all, well, yeah, there's all those right. sort of things. There's all kinds of ways it could be used or misused. Wow, so instead of trying to convince each ethnicity that you have to vote this way, because that's the way our people vote, which is incredibly insulting, we'll get it down to the very genetic material. <laughs> right. B7s, unite! <laughs> <laughs> How long will we put up with this B4 <laughs> oppression? GED match 
is a free site where users can have DNA profiles from commercial companies like Ancestry.com and 23andMe and can expand their search for relatives. The major companies like Ancestry... And then hit them up for money. <laughs> major companies like Ancestry... I don't Ancestry. want more relatives. I mean, who, who, who wants more relatives? The major companies like Ancestry and 23 do not allow law enforcement to access their genetic data unless they have a court order. I like my relatives, but I got the perfect amount. <laughs> yeah. The invest- Enough? The investigator says, though, officials do not need a court order to access GED's Match's largest database of genetic blueprints because they're a public, free company. Okay. So that's what they used. Meanwhile, D'Angelo is set to be arraigned in Sacramento, California Superior Court later today. I gotta say, I thought this far into his arrest, I'd be hearing more from his kids or his wife. Has anybody heard anything from them of... We never had any idea, or I always thought he was a weirdo, or any of that stuff. Yeah, something tells me they've gone deep underground. Too busy filing (laughs) name change documents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, God forbid something should happen like this to any of us, but I'd go a long way away and be very quiet. Bill Cosby's spokesman is saying the 80-year-old comedian's feeling great and confident that he did nothing wrong a day after he was found guilty on those three counts of aggravated and decent assault. Andrew Wyatt was telling ABC's Good Morning America that Cosby is now spending quiet time with his wife. Although he has been found guilty, he's innocent of these charges and he maintains his innocence. And he's going to walk around as a man who's innocent because he didn't do anything wrong. All right. Well, you'll walk around until you're in jail. Cosby's lawyer saying the appeal will be filed right away. We are very disappointed by the verdict. We don't think Mr. Cosby's guilty of anything, and the fight is not over. After that verdict, Cosby did cut, uh, call the prosecutor an a-hole a couple of times. Nerve. That DA, Kevin Steele, after the conviction, telling reporters today justice was done. He used his celebrity, he used his wealth, he used his network of supporters to help him conceal his crimes. And now we really know today who was behind that act, who the real Bill Cosby was. Is he out walking around because of his age? I, I would like to think that convicted rapists who drug people and rape them while they're unconscious, once you've convicted them, they don't get to walk around and possibly do it again. Yeah, that is that is interesting. I think it's because he's old and nobody says he's done anything for many years and and he's uh, easily found, so he's not going to flee. But you're right. It's, it's, it uh, seems like, doesn't it seem like a perk? Why does he get a perk? It's not a violent crime per se, but it's a crime of incapacitating your victim than committing unspeakable acts, so... Yeah, it's odd. New survey says most Americans believe in some sort of higher power. The Pew Research poll found 56% say they have faith in the God of the Bible. 33%. 56%. Listen yes. to this and then think about the way everything you hear in the news portrayed in the mainstream media goes counter to this. 56% of people believe in the God of the Bible. Of the Bible. The Bible! believe in a spiritual force, a a higher power. Only 10% of Americans, according to Pew, consider themselves to be atheists. Wow, how interesting. The poll said only 80% of U.S. Christians believe in the biblical God. I'm not quite sure why they threw that in. That doesn't make sense. I'm sorry, what percentage? Only 80% of U.S. Christians believe in the biblical God. I was going to say, you're not a very good Christian, but that's probably people who consider themselves traditionally Christian, just not religious. Right, right. So anyway, that's... Culturally Christian. That's uh, pretty interesting. 56% have faith in the God of the Bible. What per... So 90% of people believe in God of some sort. What percentage of the atheists are in media? 
I gotta believe <laughs> a lot of them. Uh, Delaney texted me in, in quite cute and wonderful uh, fashion from the quad of her college and or university to say that there was a, uh, a preacher preaching a rather creative view of God and man and, hmm. and evolution and the rest of it. And We talked a little bit about uh, religion and that sort of thing. And w- uh, The one thing I've always told my kids is don't reject God because you think religion is crazy. Uh, as I often remind them, humanity could F up a two-car parade. So the relationship with God, trust me, there's no chance humanity is going to get that exactly right. So just I'm know. bringing my kids up with the traditional Greek gods, mm. your Zeus and whatnot. Just, hey, cool. Excellent. That's they can dude. enjoy the superhero movies more that way, too, because sometimes they pop up. Right. You almost never see Jesus in a Thor movie. <laughs> That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. I'll, I'll let Sean speak to that more specifically, <laughs> but I don't recall him appearing. Yeah. Odin's shown up. Right. So a judge ruled you can be kicked out of a bar for wearing a MAGA hat. Joe's got more examples of youth today. Well, it's it's colleges. God, I think we need, I, 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 I hate to sound like Chairman Mao over here. I think we need to tear them all down and start again. Oh, well, the, the whole the whole system and concept needs to be tore down and start again. Right. No doubt about that. I'm pro-education. I'm not pro the way we do it. Uh, stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I've got my favorite Kim Jong-un story of the day. And I woke up to the video of him walking across the line between North Korea and South Korea today. What What an amazing thing. Who would have pictured that? 60 days ago, he walks across with a smile on his face and his arms open. He shakes hands with the South Korean president and says, come on, come with me. And they walk back across the line into North Korea. Wow. And hold their hands up. It may ne- Nothing may come of it, but it's amazing. It's amazing that that happened. Yeah, it is. It is. I could talk about it all day. I find it so interesting. What's going to happen next is anybody's guess. But... Here's the best part of that story I've heard all day long. All right. He brought his own toilet with him. Oh, boy. North Korea leader... Kim Jong-un brought his own toilet to the historic meeting over fears that his bodily functions could reveal details about his elf. He didn't want him grabbing a stool sample? Why don't you go, go before you get there? Rather than using a public... well, I told a, you to use the potty before we left. Fat guy, bad diet. Oh, boy. Rather than using a public restroom, the leader of North Korea has a personal toilet that follows him around when he travels. Hmm said the chief of North Korean studies at the Korean Institute for Defense Analysis. What does that cost? Because I want it. The leader's excretions contain information about his health status, so they can't be left behind. He's been very cagey about divulging his medical issues, but rumors have swirled that he's far from the picture of health. Remember, we've heard he had gout and a variety of different things. Diabetes and whatever And he might have some heinous sexually transmitted diseases. So anyway... He's got his own toilet that follows him around so they can keep his leaving secret. And then what do they do with him? Blast him into space on one of their missiles? Or? Put him in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, Here I got... we have April 14th, 2018. Look at that, huh? That was the very date that the great leader declared blah, 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 blah. Wow, that's his poo right there, you'd say to your kids. Point at it. 
So, uh, yeah, this story is from the BBC. This is uh, shocking, outrageous, horrifying. I can't believe I'm reading it, but I am. Pennsylvania State University officials said the the three clubs will be disbanded uh, and reconstituted to focus more on safety. The 98-year-old outing club is one of three that will be disbanded from next semester. Also, the caving and scuba clubs. But the outing club uh, hikes, mostly. They've decided hiking is too dangerous. Here's a helpful picture of people walking in woods. Ah, hiking! I didn't know what you were talking about. The decision came after a two-month review process, but the students say they were not consulted. Safety is a legitimate concern, but this wasn't an open dialogue. Richard Waltz, president of the outing club, which has 170 members, um... Said the main decision makers were not present. None of the officials have been permitted to see the results of the risk management assessment. They did a risk management assessment of hiking, and, which has been going oh, on for a hundred years. Here they are have canoeing. You can't be canoeing. You can fall off the canoe and drown. So uh, as as Un-effing I believable. as I always say with these stories, <clears throat> I don't know hardly anybody who wants this America. Yet this is what we have, and we keep going farther that direction. Is there anything that can be done? In a democracy, you would think so. Listen to this, S, would you? Said uh, university spokeshole somebody or other. In addition to the inherent risks found in many of these student activities that occur without fully trained guides or leaders, the behavior of some students on unsupervised trips have become a concern. These concerns have at times included the misuse of alcohol in the context of already risky activities. No, no, that if you have some beers before you go canoeing, that's the proper use of alcohol. <laughs> that's what it's for. And then if your canoe tips over while you are drunk, you laugh about it and tell that story the rest of your life. Uh, yes, so is and it, it did, and I do. So, um, God, I hate this this. Handsy, this 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 veal calf America we're creating. Well, how and much? Look, of it- I'm not a bare knuckle boxer over here. <laughs> Joe drives around in an old pickup with an orangutan and does street fighting. <laughs> um, Unbelievable. So, so, um, how much of it is people that want safety at all costs? And so, I don't, I don't understand that mindset. But how much of it is the liability? They just the, the college can't have a hiking club because somebody gets hurt, they'll get sued for a million dollars. So I wonder- it's better not to have it. You know, I believe, I, I, I love, uh, I believe in balance. I love women in politics. I love w- women voting. Uh, you you know, love teeter-totters, uh, everything that involves balance. Right, exactly. Um, but in my opinion, we're getting way too much mommy and not nearly enough daddy in the traditional sense in a lot of our institutions. Well, if it's a liability Honey, thing, let though. them play. <clears throat> They'll get a skin knee. They'll be fine. You know, we need more of that. If it's a liability thing, that's a different issue. Yeah, it absolutely is. And one more tale of college. This was sent uh, by uh, a, a fan, a friend. Um, the president of St. John's College, which is this gent's alma mater, was scheduled to be on Tucker Carlson's show talking about higher education. I thought St. John's College, the, the only college in America I really wish I had gone to in uh, Santa Fe. It's absolutely amazing. It's the only institution of its kind in America. It's the also the the oldest college in America. What, what's its uh, deal? What's its story? Oh, briefly, because I got to get to this story. But they only study the great works of history. 
Oh. There's o- there's only one major, a liberal arts education. Liberals. That, that includes studying, um, uh, you read all the Greeks, you read all the, I mean, you read all the great tomes of history. You come out of there more educated than anybody in the country. Right. It's crazy hard. Mm. Anybody can get in. I don't think there's any qualifications to get in, but you probably can't hack it. Wow. You'll read, <laughs> you'll read in the four years something like 800 books. It's very small. There's only 800 total students between Santa Fe and I think it's Maryland is the other campus. Wow. I learned Shout about this. out to Greg in Hawaii. I learned about this when I was in uh, Santa Fe visiting a friend, and he told me about it, and I did a lot of research, and I thought, I God, no I wish I could go here. Oh. I was older, and I'm, plus I'm not sure I'm smart enough to do it anyway. Very small classes. There's no writing. There's, there's no test or anything. You sit around and talk with the professors, and you either, make the, either cut it or you don't. Wow. But even if you got drummed out, as long as you could last, you'd get smarter. Oh, hell which yeah. Which is the purpose of education, it, so I could deal with family. doesn't qualify you for a particular job. It, as the president says, it qualifies you for life. You, yeah. you get prepared oh, for, for living life. I'm glad I asked. Oh, it's just it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating college. Yeah, but listen to this. This, this, this is... Uh, also read three Shakespeare's. That's right, Mr. President. So um, he was going to be on Tucker Carlson, and they put out the following uh, letter. We've received feedback from alumni and friends with many different views on Mark Roosevelt's appearance on tonight's Tucker Carlson program. Many support this opportunity, and many are disappointed that we would appear on Fox News. All of this feedback is valued. The community went so crazy that he would dare go on a show on Fox News. They had to put out a big press release. Where they reminded people of free exchange of ideas. Uh, we're going to talk about what we do here and why it's important. We're going to talk about uh, edu- higher education. Don't piss your pants, pardon me, because we're going to talk to Tucker Carlson. Wow. God, people are so rigid. Yeah, we are off the rails. Huh. What would Plato say? I don't know. I haven't read it. <laughs> Too dumb. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.